Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. While the offering buckets are going around, I have my mom with me. I don't believe, mom, that we've ever done this together like this. So how many years have you taught in a Bible school in Africa? 35. 35 years. Okay. You're not on. Uh, We're going to get you on. How about that? Should be there. Go ahead, talk. Are you there? I think I'm here. There we go. She's going to... She's... She's going to adjust it back there for her. So mom and dad were missionaries in Africa for 40 years. 35 of the years she taught in a Bible school. Okay. Him and, her and dad trained over 500 people who are in the ministry, most of which are in the ministry today. Okay. We're sitting in a classroom. We don't have air conditioning. We don't have a fan. No electricity. Just the power of God. Yeah. Yeah. So this will probably come across from a teacher today. Okay? Which is good. We all need to be educated. Don't we? In the things of God. So I was speaking with mom several weeks ago over the telephone. And the word consecration came up. And I felt that it was for today. I really did. The word consecration. I know some of you, maybe you've never even heard that word. But we're going to talk about that today. So let me, let me begin. Back in November of 1985, one of the top leaders of the Communist Party made a very interesting statement to a missionary. Here's what he said. We in the Communist Party are just as consecrated in our work as you missionaries are in your work. But there is one difference. We are consecrated to the Communist Party and you are consecrated to your God in whom we do not believe in. At the end of our lives, he's quoting, I'm quoting him, At the end of our lives, we believe that there is nothing, but you believe that you will see God and be rewarded for all that you have done for him. The meaning of consecration is to devote yourself to a purpose, being devoted, or to dedicate oneself to a service or to a person or to a purpose. It implies, consecration implies total consecration. Not just halfway or careless or some days. It implies total devotion, total dedication, and total commitment. Go ahead. Consecration can be honorable, but only if it is a consecration to the right person or the right project. 
A consecration to Jesus Christ must be done under his direction and according to his perfect plan. Okay, so most of you got the sheet when you came in. If you didn't get the sheet, raise your hand. Somebody will get you one. If you can share with someone, look on. There's some down here as well. Just keep waving while these go out to you, okay? So we have a front and back sheet. And chart number one is where we're looking with the arrows on it, okay? The back side will have the circle. If we can pass those out quickly. There we go. Okay, go ahead. Let's read the title together. The Christian's Consecrated Life. That's what we're looking at right now. Every person is born into a life of sin. Now you'll see that sentence at the very bottom of your page. The only way to have our sins forgiven is to go to Jesus Christ and the way of the cross. I think you'll see the cross there. The arrow moves up from the life of sin, accepting Christ, and then the cross. Asking him to forgive us and to cleanse our hearts from all sin. Because of God's great love for us, he is willing to do that. His son, Jesus Christ, said the, penal the penalty for not only our sin, or he paid the penalty for not only our sins, but also for the sins of of all mankind. And we know John 3:16, but maybe some of you this is your first time and you've never heard this scripture. We Christians consider this scripture as one of the best scriptures in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. What comes after giving our hearts to the Lord? What is the next thing? This all depends on how much we want to spiritually grow as newborn babes and consecrate our lives to him. Some new Christians begin to read their Bibles and pray every day, asking God to direct their lives in every way. Their desire is to obey his word and to live a holy life. This is the true meaning of a consecrated life. It is a life that is seeking God's directive and perfect will. God is so pleased when he finds men and women like this. And at the end of their lives, he, is great. he greatly rewards them. Now you'll see that there are two arrows going to heaven. And one of the arrows that I've, the people I've just talked about is God's perfect directive will. The other arrow talks about God's permissive will. Now there's only one way to heaven, but once you are born again, there are two ways that you can choose to follow to get to heaven. 
Your sins are already forgiven, and you're on the way. You're, you're serving the Lord. You love the Lord. But you're going to choose. Is it God's perfect will or directive will, or is it his permissive will? Then there are other new Christians that may love God. They attend church, and they even give to the church. But they don't always read their Bibles and pray every day. Their attitude is not always, I'll go wherever you want me to go, I'll be what you want me to be, or I'll say what you want me to say, or I'll go where you want me to go. If however you, I'll be whatever you want me to be. They would rather make their own decisions and choose light and choices in life. Yes, they will go to heaven, but their life is only partially consecrated, only consecrated in certain areas. Now, as we're ministering to you this morning, I want you to continually ask yourself, which pathway am I on? Am I on God's permissive will or am I on his perfect will? Like the song that people used to sing, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go, but please don't send me to Africa. <laughs> when looking at both pathways to heaven, we know that God could place his call on either group. But we know which group are most likely to respond with obedience to God's call. Matthew 22:14 says, "Many are called or invited, but few are chosen." And one of the best stories in the Bible that explains about God's permissive will and God's directive will or perfect plan is the story found in Numbers chapter 22 and 23. And it's about King Balak and the prophet Balaam. The story of Bala, Balak, king of Moab, and Balaam, he was a typical hireling prophet, always seeking only to make a market of his gift. Um, this is a clear picture of God's directive or perfect will and God's permissive will. Balak was afraid of Israel because they had won so many battles with their enemies. And King Balak thought, well, I guess we'll be the next that will be killed. So what he did was he sent for all his best messengers and he said, I want you, and he gave them some costly gifts and said, I want you to give these, go and see Balaam, the prophet, and give him these costly gifts and ask him to come back with you to me. And I want him to curse Israel. Well, they got to Balaam's home and it was towards evening. So Balaam gave him a place of rest for the night and said, while you're resting, I'm going to go before God and find out what God wants me to do. And he did. And during the night, God told him, I don't want you to go with these messengers. No matter what gifts they give you, I don't want you to go. 
And so in the morning, Balaam looked at the messengers and he said, I'm sorry, I cannot go with you because Israel is God's chosen people and he doesn't want them cursed. He wants them blessed. So the messengers went back to King Balak in Moab and they told the king and the king was not happy at all. And so next, the king decided to send his princes, that means his sons, and they were of far more importance than the messengers were, and they thought, surely Balaam will obey and go back and come to see me. And he even gave the princes more expensive gifts to bribe Balaam to come. And so they arrived at Balaam's home, and the same thing, Balaam gave them a place to rest, and he said, I'm going to go before God and see what God wants me to do. Now remember, Balaam was not like the prophet Elisha and Elijah. He was ready to, he had a desire in his heart to collect and become wealthy. He wasn't a true prophet of God. Anyway, he told them, well, I'll go before God and see what God wants me to do. And in the morning, I'll tell you. So he went to prayer. And God says, okay, go. God wanted to test Balaam. And so he said, you go. So they went. And when they got to King Balak, Balak said to, to Balaam, I want you to curse the children of Israel. And he said, I'm sorry, God told me I could come to see you, but I'm not allowed to curse Israel because they are God's chosen people. So what happened after that? Balaam just went back home again and continued in his half-hearted life serving God. But when he was going home, his donkey just happened to stop right in the pathway. And Balaam beat him severely. And the donkey just refused to go. He might have gone just a little ways or over to the side, and Balaam beat him again. Balaam did not know the angel of the Lord was standing right in front of that donkey with the sword drawn in his hand. Balaam could not see that. And so he beat him again. He beat him three different times. And finally, God allowed something to happen that only happened one other time in the scripture, and that was in the Garden of Eden when the snake spoke to Eve. And now we have the second recording in the Bible. The donkey turned around and he looked at Balaam and he said, why have you beaten me these three times? I've always obeyed what you've done ever since you bought me, all these years. And at that moment, God opened the eyes of Balaam and he could see the angel of the Lord standing there with the sword in his hand. And he knew that God was not happy with him. And so he, Israel was never cursed through Balaam because God had told him. Now that angel 
could have taken that sword and killed Balaam for, for not following his directive will. But he followed, Balaam followed God's permissive will. Sometimes we beg God over and over and over again. Finally, he says, okay, do your own thing. Go ahead, go. And that's what happened to Balaam, if you ever wonder about that story. Now, on the other side of your paper, you'll see <clears throat> another chart. The circle is depicting the center of God's perfect will. Outside the circle is depicting outside of God's perfect will. Christians outside of God's will are always looking back in and wishing they were there. This is sad. And in some cases, they, have, they can repent and, and stop. They can repent for disobeying God's will. Call and get back into the circle. But for others... They can repent, but it is too late. They've already made decisions. They made decisions that they made in life and will not be, they will not allow them to go back into God's perfect will. Well, let, me, let me give you an example of this. Um, where, they didn't, where individuals don't follow the will of God, the perfect will of God. It happens sometimes in marriage. When you don't marry a person that's saved or consecrated, fully consecrated, you hear all the time, well, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just date this person and then I'll lead them to the Lord. That sometimes does happen. But what if it doesn't happen? What if it doesn't happen? You've made this covenant with this person that's not consecrated to the Lord and you can't reverse it that's the example one of the examples of where you may decide to be consecrated but you can't fulfill the perfect will of God because of your union and I would like to add one thing there mm -hmm. Dave my own sister my oldest sister God called her to go to Bible college and study for the ministry. And instead, she fell in love with a man, and she even ran away and got married. She, they eloped, and their first little child died at three years of age. And then some years passed, and he got on drugs and got a young teenage, teenage girl, about 15 years old, pregnant, and threatened to kill my sister and the little boy, that, that the second little child that she had. In fact, my father brought them to Ghana to visit us, to get away from this man. And I remember my sister praying at the altar and crying so hard, God, give me your second best. I've missed your first best. Now give me your second best. But her life was messed up. God forgave her, yes. Mm -hmm. But it was too late. And after that, 
She had one problem after another in her life. A life that has run away from the God's perfect will is not a blessed life. It's a sad life. And she's always been looking into the center of that circle and saying, I wish I had a kept in God's will. And I'm saying this, I'm adding this to what we've got written here because I see a lot of young people here. Mm-hmm. And I remember one week before I went to Bible college, after God called me, a young man was introduced to me. He had a good job, lots of money. He was very handsome. And it was a big temptation. But thank God, I kept that call for Africa and the call of God. I continued to let it stay in my heart and I said no to him. But just think, if I had have changed my mind, sometimes Satan puts something right there in front of you. Just when you're ready to take that important step, young people don't get out of God's will. Amen. 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 So that's, that's one example. Let me give you one more and then we're moving on. Um, People who waste their life until they're too old to do what God's called them to do. I always put it this way. We got one shot at this life. One. There's no do-overs. What you didn't do for God last week, you will never be able to do that over. This is why we've got to be focused on what God is telling us to do and do it. And do it. And especially for you young people, begin to seek God and ask him, what does he want you specifically to do? Well, they're all doing this. It doesn't matter what they're all doing. Find out what God wants for you, specifically for you. That's why mom says, pray and read your Bible. If I've heard her say that one time, I've heard her say that a million times. Dave, did you pray and read your Bible? When I came home from boarding school, Dave, are you praying and reading your Bible? And thank God, the boarding school he went to as a missionary kid, they rang the bell at six o'clock every morning and all the kids had their private devotions. Mom and dad weren't there to read the Bible to them. They learned to do it themselves. Now, when we came home on furlough, I said, no TV in the morning until you've read and prayed and until you have made your bed and picked up your clothes. (laughs) You know why I did that? I mean, from the time they first learned how to read, they did that. And because in, at night, I would do it with them. But then in the morning, I wanted them to do, learn to do it themselves. Because who's going to be at the university when they get older and do it for them? And so I remember when my daughter was just three years old. We read and prayed every night, and I said, Brenda, now you're old enough that you can, you don't have to repeat what mommy says when she prays. You can pray by yourself. Oh, no, mommy, I can't do that. 
Oh, that broke my heart. I prayed all the next day that that night she would pray alone. And she did when I asked her. And she's a missionary today in Italy and has been a missionary for almost 30 years. And I thank God. So young people and older people do not waste a day. What you do for God, you've got to do it today. Don't waste it. Don't lollygag around. Don't veg on the couch, video games, none of that stuff. Before you know it, the day's gone, then the week's gone, the month's gone, the year is gone. And you'll find yourself too old. That's for somebody, maybe not in the room, watching over the internet. We'll leave you a way out. But you know, Brother Carl Strader, maybe some of you remember Carl Strader. I remember when he had the church on Main Street, he said, when you get saved, you are standing in God's light, and God's light is shining on you. But each day you don't read and pray. You're taking one step away from that light. Until maybe many weeks have passed and you haven't read and prayed. Then you are in that condition that we call backsliding. But it's one day at a time. Stay in the light. As long as you read and pray, you're in God's light. And you will not backslide. Mm -hmm. Not if you do it sincerely. And thank God all my kids and most of my grandchildren, I only have one that I'm not sure about, but all the rest of them, they're all saved. And I thank God for that because of reading their Bible. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or his way of doing things then all these things will be added onto you. Idol worshipers, Muslims, devil worshipers, and people of false cults and religions are familiar with consecration. Sometimes they sacrifice and donate and give more than some Christians do to the church. I know in Africa, the people only ate meat about once a month in some areas. And the children and the women wouldn't get it at all. But they would take those chickens and go to the river and swing those chickens in the air until the chickens would cry. The Africans would call it crying. And then you'd see the heads of all the crocodiles. They all wanted that chicken. And so they'd all come to the shore and the Africans would give them. Those crocodiles were the gods of the people. And they gave the crocodiles, their gods, more than they gave their own families to eat. Now, this is consecration in, for idol worshipers. All right. So let me, let me ask some questions. So what is consecration? It's being totally devoted and totally dedicated. And in this, in this context, we're referring to God. Number two, who are Christians to be consecrated to, as I just said, God. Everything we do is in consecration to God. 
You go to work as a form of consecration to him. You witness, consecration. You raise your family, consecration. Everything has to be consecrated to God. Number three, go ahead. What does the Bible say about consecration? And when I wrote that down, I thought, oh my. My mind went immediately to Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. Now listen to it carefully. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, but a living, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I was moved when I saw these young people up here worshiping. But if you haven't presented yourself in God's perfect plan and his perfect will, that's not true worship. True worship is when you present yourself like the scripture says. Do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. And that's by reading your Bible and praying. Then you will be able to test you. It's not God testing. It You will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. Number four, mm-hmm. what is consecration necessary for today? I thought Christ died on the cross and paid the price. That's for our salvation. But... For our consecration, that's a price we must pay. When we went to Africa in 1966 with three small children, ages five, three, and 19 months, I thought I was consecrated to the Lord. I left Canada, my home, and the US, our home and family, knowing I wouldn't see them again for three years. That means mom and dad and mother-in-law and father-in-law and all the brother-in-laws and sisters and everyone. I thought I was consecrated until the day came when I had to say goodbye to my tiny children and send them to school in Nigeria, 1,500 air miles away. I knew I would only see them two and three times a year for the rest of their schooling years, right up till they graduated. A new consecration had to be made in my heart, and it was with many tears. Some of the more difficult tasks that God asks you to do, you have to make a new consecration. One consecration is not enough. In fact, we learned it had to be daily. Daily lay yourself on the altar. Daily. Thank God for one missionary, whose name is Charles Greenaway, who said many times that he would have given up missionary work for less than 25 cents. But because of the fire of God, 
the call of God burning in his heart, he could never do it. The Bible says, take up your cross and follow me. Nowhere does it say, lay it down for a while or for any reason. If we lay our cross down, millions of pagans will become Muslims. Muslim mosques will be built in villages instead of churches for the Lord Jesus Christ. Young people will not be trained in Bible school so that they can go and pastor those churches. Drilling wells and giving out food and clothes will help. And we participate in that, don't we? We participated in the food even just yesterday or the day before, Friday. It will help, and it is good. But today, the most important task for us to do is to find Holy Spirit consecrated men and women and boys and girls as well who will pick up their cross, not lay it down, who will go out and be a witness everywhere they go, who will tell other people about what God's done for them, who will preach, some will preach and teach to anyone and everyone. It will include people telling them who have never heard the gospel. Is consecration necessary for today? My answer would be yes, absolutely. Go ahead. Number five, the fifth question. Will consecration accomplish results? Is communism growing? Is Islam growing? Are false cults increasing in number? Christianity is growing, and around the world where national pastors, missionaries, and believers are consecrating their very lives to the spreading of the gospel, even in the midst of Satan's strongholds, even with the threat of imprisonment, even with cruel persecution. In fact, today, is the day to remember the persecuted Christians. And I thought, I didn't know that when we got this message, but I believe this message is timely. And they even consecrate themselves in spite of the threat of death. They are willing to risk their lives at all costs. And I'm reminded of that scripture where Paul and Barnabas, it said they risked their lives when they were the first missionaries and went out around the world and preached. Today, many people, missionaries, are signing up and willing to enter countries where no one is allowed to be a Christian or even own a Bible. You would be shocked if you knew how many missionaries are signing up for this. They can't even tell their loved ones or anybody what country they're going to. Because if the, if the communists and the Muslims were to find out, they would be killed immediately. But they're willing to do it. Why? 
because of their consecration to the Lord. Jesus gave us the perfect example during his life when he was willing to go to the cross. Before he left heaven and was born as a baby, he knew he was going to die because God the Father asked him if he would go to prove his love to the world, and he was the greatest example. Maybe in your mind you're thinking, oh, I'm afraid to totally consecrate my life to God because I don't know what he's going to ask me to do or where he's going to send me and ask me to go. I don't mind being partially consecrated by praying and supporting God's work. I even teach a Sunday school class or I, I do all this other work for the Lord. I don't mind being partially consecrated. God has a specific purpose why you were developed and created in your mother's womb and giving you the personality that you have. Maybe you've been told all your life, oh boy, she's stubborn or she's very determined. Well, maybe God made you that way so that the, I don't know of any missionary that's not like that. We would never get to the field or stay on the field if we weren't determined and stubborn. <laughs> and he, it wasn't an accident that he's guided your life right up to this point, to this day. He's guiding you. He has a purpose for your life. What about the fear you, you have in your heart why you won't totally consecrate your life to him? How did other biblical leaders like Moses and Joshua and David and others, they, how did they um, become so successful? Well, they listened to God's word when he said in Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and of good courage. Fear not, there's those words, fear not, or be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he it is who will go with you, praise the Lord. He will not fail you nor forsake you. What did these consecrated leaders, how did they end up? Were they successful? Yes, they did great things for God. If men and women are willing to sign up for the U.S. Armed Forces, the military, how much more, how much more should we sign up for that greatest chief and commander? And to think, when his call comes to us, he doesn't send a messenger. He himself comes and calls. Mm. I was only seven years old when God spoke to me. It was five o'clock. I remember in the evening, my mother was downstairs. This was up in Canada where I was born and raised. And God spoke to me and said, I want you to go to Africa as a missionary. <gasps> wow. I called mom quick. I said, mom, come. She ran, she was downstairs cooking the supper and she came running up. She said, what's wrong, Marianne? And I said, God just called me to go to Africa as a missionary. I said, can he call a, long, a young child like me? She says, yeah, but you'll soon forget it. <laughs> 
But that stubbornness in me said, God, don't let me forget it. <laughs> if, the answer, if we answer yes, then we become three things. Now listen to these three things. We become God's servants, of course, but there are three things we will do with God. We will be yoked up with him to plow the fields of the world. Now, not every missionary goes to the capital city and has an American school to send their kids to and lives in a nice house with electricity. Some of us have had to go 450 miles, 500 miles inland, live in a mud house. We lived in two different mud houses without any electricity for over 24 years. That is yoking up with the Lord and plowing the fields because we were living among idol worshipers and Muslims and we had to, almost, well, we're breaking up the earth. <laughs> we are plowing the fields. And the second thing, plant seeds of the gospel. Teach in the Bible college. Teach the students how to pastor. Go into the unreached villages and plant seeds. And I'd like to say that that one John Muhammad you've been talking about, he had, I went, to, he and I went to a village that never heard the gospel and there were only about eight compounds with just a couple of hundred people in that village and I preached and John at first wouldn't accept Christ but then later he did but then went back to that village that was his home village he was going to build a mosque in the school and he was one of the chief's sons he was a prince and instead he became a Christian and now 13 pastors full-time pastors have come out of that village that are pastoring so we, we are plowing the fields, we're planting the seeds of the gospel, and praise God, with God, we're going to bring in a harvest of souls. And I know uh, many of you have won souls to Christ, and you're going to be among those that are bringing in souls. Nothing pleases the heart of the Father more than to find and, and no greater honor will be given to you when you always say yes to him. And when you hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Praise God. Yes. Go ahead. Two African, and in closing, I just want to tell you a little story. Two African young men applied to come to our Bible college. Both of them had the call of God on their lives. They completed their training, and they became successful in pastoring. The thing that moved me the most was when I heard their testimony. Even the children need to, or they're gone to children's church, but young even people. the youngest, even the youngest person here today, listen up to what I'm going to tell you. Around at their age was 12 to 14 years of age, and they both 
gave their hearts to the Lord in one of our rural churches. When their Muslim fathers heard that they had given their heart to the Lord, they threatened, they tried to scare their sons and said, if you go to that church even one more time, you're going to be beaten. Sunday was the day that they were to go to their farm and do the chores because during the week they went to school. So Sunday they had to do their farming. So the next Sunday came, what were they going to do? They got up just at daybreak. They walked to their farms with their hoe in their hand and they hurried as fast as they could and did all, finished all their responsibilities in doing the farm work. Then when they finished, they walked back home, took off their dirty clothes, took a bath, and put on good, clean clothes and went to church. They came home from church, just as their father said, they were beaten. I mean really beaten. I don't mean just a, a swat with a hand. I mean with the, they call it caning the kids. When the kids are caned in school, that means they're beaten with a stick. And they had a terrible beating that Sunday. But every Sunday after that, they still went to farm, came home, got dressed, went to church. You know what they said? They said, we would rather take the beating than miss going to church. Now, these boys were young. They didn't, they'd never heard the word consecration before. They didn't know what it even meant. But that's what it was. It was consecration. When every head bowed and every eye closed. You say, Dave, why, why, do, you, why do you tell us to bow our heads and close our eyes. Because I want you to look at your life, not anybody else's. I want you to look at your life. Not everybody is called to be a missionary, just like not everyone is called to work at McDonald's or the city of Lakeland or an insurance company. But God has something specific a plan that is what's called his perfect will for each one of us, and it's different. So you can't look at your neighbor and say, well, they're doing that and whatever. It doesn't matter what they're doing. What really matters is that you're doing what you're supposed to do and they're doing what they're supposed to do. That's what really matters. And so I'm just asking you as you hear what has been spoken today, Where do you find yourself? As best you can, not condemning anybody, but as best you can. How consecrated are you really? Oh, well, I come to church on Sunday morning. That's not what I'm talking about. Thank God you came this morning. Thank God you're watching in over the internet. What about walking out these doors and the rest of this afternoon and then Monday through Saturday. What about that? 
What about consecration late at night? What about that? I, I can't answer that for you. I can only answer it for me. Well, I'll just, I don't want to be extreme. I'm not asking you to be extreme. There's already one that's extreme, and that's Jesus Christ. He's extreme. I'm just asking you to, will you do what he tells you to do? The way he tells you to do it. When he tells you to do it. It's an obedience thing. It's yielding to the Spirit of God every day, sometimes for me multiple times a day, where I say, Holy Spirit, I've got to have you in my life and I would much, much, much rather do what you want me to do than what I want to do. Because when I do what I want to do, it doesn't work out. You've often heard me say, God's plan is far better than your best plan will ever be. Say, well, shouldn't I go to university and get an education and be trained in this and that? If it's his perfect will, absolutely. What are you waiting on? God, help us today. God, help us today. I'm going to ask for everyone to stand. Mom talked about, go ahead and look at me. Mom talked about making a new consecration, renewing our consecration. I'm going to ask you today, if that's you, and I trust that it's everyone in the room, where you're willing to make a new consecration, maybe you never even heard of this word. But if you're willing, come and stand with me for closing prayer. Just come stand, fill in, make room for others. Come stand with me. I've got a few scriptures to read, and then we're going to pray together. If you realize that you need to make a new consecration to the Lord, I want you to come. Don't hesitate. Don't second guess it. It's a, it's a yes or no. It's real, it's real simple. This one's not a multiple choice. Come on. Come on. While you're coming, let me say this. Consecration is being willing to lay down every desire of your own in order to embrace every desire that God has for you. It requires total surrender and yielding to whatever he wants, even if you don't want it. It requires obedience when sometimes things don't make sense or you don't have it all figured out. I love to have everything figured out. One, two, three, four, five. But there's sometimes I can tell you, you won't have it figured out. But it's going to require you to obey in spite of. It'll also cause you to set aside all of your stuff. Well, this, this is my identity. You're going to lay it down. There are things that you can't carry when you carry your cross. As great as your stuff is, 
you can't carry it. It's going to require you not to ask the question, well, what if, and what if, and what if this, and what if they laugh at me, or what if they, you fill in the blank. You know those what if questions. You can't ask those questions that will cause you to disobey the Lord. It'll cause you, it'll be required to lay your emotions aside. So, well, I'm just not really feeling it. Nobody asked you if you needed to feel it. There are things that we do because they're right. Not because we like it or we understand it or it's priority to us or whatever. No. It's going to require blind faith. Sometimes two plus two doesn't equal four, Jess. Just doesn't. Doesn't add up. Have you ever been in a situation and it just didn't add up? I, this and this and this, but then the re result is this? You're going to have to trust. It's going to require you to have the willingness to swim upstream, not float with all the dead fish down the creek. It's going to cause you, going to require you to take a stand. For him, not to be some bonehead or ridiculous, whatever. No, I'm going to take a stand. I have conviction and I'm going to stand for God. Happy to explain it to you, but I will stand. And then it'll require a willingness to sacrifice if need be. You've heard me say, when Abraham was asked by God or told by God to sacrifice his son, after all the promises of all the children and the descendants and all of that, one son, he said, I want you to go and sacrifice. Talk about two plus two doesn't equal four. We're talking about murder. He asked him to murder. And on top of that, murder the one that he loved. The Bible says that Abraham got up early the next morning. He didn't sleep in. He didn't, oh, well, I don't, I'm just not real sure that that's God. Didn't do any of that. Got up early the next morning. Got the wood, put it on the donkey, got the fire, and you got the knife and headed out. Now, we all know, great story, didn't require, didn't require murder. But he was willing. My question to each one of us, are we willing? Are we willing? Let me read these passages and then we're going to pray and we're out the door. 2 Thessalonians 1.5. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Second passage. 2 Timothy 1.12 Which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, 
For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to total till the day that has been entrusted to me. Total commitment all the days of your life. All the days. Last scripture, 1 Peter 4.19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray together. Father, we stand here as a group of people, a community, with a variety of backgrounds and history and age groups and social economic statuses and all of that. We're, if you will, a mixed breed. But we are your people. We are your people. You've saved us from our sins. You've blessed our lives crazy. I mean, it's just like you've been so good to us. Have we had to deal with stuff? Yes, but you were there with us. You were there with us. And today we stand here and we give ourselves again to you. We consecrate our life to you. Some of us, we have more life, it would appear, more life yet than others. But whatever life we have, whatever days we have, years we have, we give ourselves to you. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that we can yield and surrender our lives to and embrace the guidance of the Holy Spirit so that we make the right choices every time. What is right? Choices that will lead us and keep us in the perfect will of God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We give ourselves to you today, not just today, but each day, some multiple times a day. Remind us, Holy Spirit, that you're in us. You're available to us to guide every step. I pray for, specifically, for our younger generation. God, that you would use them, that they would spend time with you, ask you questions like I did, wait for the answer, then be led by the Spirit all of their days. God, I mentioned that we have one shot at this life. One shot. And whatever we do for you, we've got to do it. We've got to do it today. While there's daylight, because the time comes when night will be upon us. Let us witness. Let us give testimony of your goodness. Let us influence. Let us encourage others that your kingdom would be advanced. Give us strategies. Help us not to worry about what to say. With you inside of us, Holy Spirit, you give us the words to say. 
All we have to do is be like a parrot and just repeat, repeat what you tell us. Repeat, repeat. I thank you for your people. I thank you for the challenge today. May we serve you better today than we did yesterday. And may tomorrow we even top that. May we serve you wholeheartedly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.